welcome to the 33rd episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, you dynasty-defying dragonflies? Coming up this episode, we've got our regular catch-up, followed up with news of an E3 2023 that won't be coming up, moving on to yet more reason to celebrate Vampire Survivors, and finishing the news section with an intriguing slip of the tongue in relation to CD Projekt Red's Witcher 4. After the news, it'll be time for Completionist's Corner, where we'll pick back up on the second scenario as Claire Redfield in the Resident Evil 2 remake. But before all of that, let's lay out the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk. Okay, James, over to you. What have you been up to this week? So I managed to finish it off Neo 2. Nice. Very good times. Good times. Uh, as I said last week, was really enjoying it. It improved on everything that I wanted it to improve on Neo, and I'm glad to say that carried through right to the end. Story was wonderful and finished exactly how it should have done. All the sub-quests and stuff that I've done were really good. There were the odd repeat boss here and there, but it wasn't as egregious as it was in Neo. so good times. Cool. Do you think that uh, there's space for a Neo free? Who knows? Who knows? It would be covering the same point in history again, so I don't know how they'd manage to do that, but maybe. It's not outside the realms of possibility. I don't know how recent Neo 2 was. You mentioned the uh, it's based off of sort of ancient uh, texts and, and things like that from the past. I assume that there must be a continuation to that story somewhere along the way. No idea. I don't know the right. stories outside of that. The, the sort of where the story of Neo and Neo 2 ends is the war finishes. So okay, okay. I don't know. There probably is, but maybe it's in a few hundred years after that. I, I, I don't know the lore well enough. Maybe it could be a prequel or something who knows maybe maybe but as i say i don't know when neo 2 came out so i don't know if that would even be something they're considering so uh walk us through the sort of the final moments of the game man was the last few levels challenging what was the final boss saying uh last few levels were as always sort of the harder ones which you'd expect um followed a sort of similar style to neo 1 in that there was a boss rush mission at the end which then had the final okay. boss on it which then had another final boss on top of that multiple stages or multiple bosses both all oh, right nice <laughs> So, yeah, so you had um, four bosses like you did within Neo that I mentioned the other week. Um, one of them's optional, but the other three you have to do. That then leads you to a big old boss fight, which is kind of similar to the multi-headed Hydra thing that I told you about at the end oh, of Neo. Oh, okay, yeah. Except yeah. it's a living house. Right, okay. Yeah. I'm instantly thinking of the Final Fantasy house that you find in the junkyard. Think more like um, Baba Yaga. I'm lost on that. Baba Yaga? Oh, right. So Baba Yaga is like a, um, it's sort of a Russian-Polish folklore. Um, and it's like this old lady and she has a magic talking house or something. Apologies to any like people who are just massively offended there with uh, <laughs> not knowing the proper lore of Baba Yaga. But yeah. It's, well, uh, I'll be honest with you, James. I think you've actually been really generous there because I've just typed in Baba Yaga and I found what looks like an old crone sat on a barrel. So uh, it yeah. seems that you've been pretty generous with your depiction there of her living in a house. It looks like she's living in a I didn't say a she lived in a house. Trash I, can. I said she's got a living house. She's got, oh, okay, okay. I don't know if she <laughs> lives in it. Um, but yeah, it's a big old house and basically instead of hiding 
hydra heads it's locks of hair with eyeballs and teeth around them oh geez okay they're kind of okay. coming at you but otherwise it kind of functions similarly to that boss fight um you then move on to another level which you then have the final boss who is your best friend from the start of the game who has been oh sh- possessed betrayal no possessed no betrayal oh, possessed. Okay. possessed by the actual final boss so you've already fought your best friend once you do a different version of that fight but he's more powerful and you then have a two-phase boss fight with the final boss who is just like a mage type job it actually wasn't too hard sure thing um, sure thing probably because it's a three-phase boss fight although worth noting if you defeat Tokachiro who's your best friend and then die to the other guy you actually start on the other guy you don't have to do all three again that sounds unusually generous for this type of game yeah it was a bit I'm sure it was uh, received thankfully though if you did have to make use of it I did. I made use of it once um, and it was received thankfully but I didn't die enough times to either that it was really that big a deal sure thing like sure if they thing made me do first phase again that wouldn't have been a problem um and then the final final boss is uh you you actually have two epilogue missions you fight your character from neo one. Oh, that's cool i love it when they do that yeah and then darksiders has a cool uh Cool yeah like it does that. it's the tutorial you fight war right, right that's the right yeah. yeah yeah and that was cool you don't actually kill him you only have to get him to about three quarters health and then you get a cutscene. Um, yeah because you then join him in the final mission and then the final boss is just a demon thing just Quite a tough. big ass elven beast nah not that big just uh but um sort of has all three of your yokai powers that you have depending on like it's a feral phantom and brute okay so okay. an interchange between all three of them in phase one and then phase two he's just a big old demon guy with like a, a sword and then two other swords that swing around him and uh yeah quite tough sounds pretty badass did you notice any severe difficulty spikes when you were playing through, or was this a pretty incremental game? Probably incremental, but going downwards, so starts off hard and then gets easier as it goes. There are a couple oh, of frustrating okay. bosses and like sections, for sure, but Neo 2 is not as hard as Neo. I'll say that now, having completed both of them now. Okay, yeah. Neo 2 is not as hard as Neo. Probably starts off harder, because it's got a more brutal start that we went into last week, but overall, as a game, it's an easier game. Yeah. Neo 2 is leading up to the events of Neo 1 in terms of the timeline, and then sort of there's, they cross over towards the end of it. Right, so it does sound like my suggestion earlier that Neo 3 could potentially be a prequel would uh, is unlikely, unless they're just going to tell the story backwards the whole way. <laughs> but aside from Neo 2, you actually know what, I've been, what else I've been playing for the most part this week. I've flitted on a couple of other things, but I won't go into that. I actually managed to see you this week in person for the first time in God knows how long. You're my special friend. And we actually played some Borderlands pre-sequel. Now, this is a game that I'm relatively familiar with. I've finished it once, twice, um, but I've played through it a fair few times to various levels. And yeah, we had we had a bit of a blast, really, didn't we? We sort of decided that we were going to gung-ho it to the main quest, not really worry too much about side stuff unless we got too far behind. I was uh, Wilhelm, who's the Enforcer character, basically think a cyborg, tanky, laser gun-wielding type guy with a couple of drones that help him out every so often. Um, and you went with the... The character I played is Lady Aurelia Hamelock, uh, who is the Baroness class. Very well-to-do, this was. She had some very good dialogue lines. Oh, just kidding. Under no circumstances would we be friends. Yeah, she was really quite funny. Whoever uh, voice-acted uh, the character or, or the uh, the writers behind the lines as well, I, I thought that this was, this was quite solid in terms of its sense of humour, and I really enjoyed some of the one-liners that your character came out with after getting headshots. Really nice sort of juxtaposition against my character as well, because my character's more of a sort of, like, grizzled army badass type. Do something useful! or I will lose my friggin' mind! 
so he's sort of very blunt to the point and then you've got this sort of posh aristocratic lady keep that up and I'll hire you myself. We had some really good synergy in terms of the way that our characters worked as well. My ability uh, mostly involved chucking out a, a drone that could freeze people. I started to explore one of the skill trees that's called Contractual Aristocracy. And uh, using that skill, you can, every time you get a kill, it starts to increase your gun accuracy, which is obviously very useful. But following on from that, I can actually pull out a piece of parchment and offer it to another player, uh, obviously James in this case, at which point he can accept the contract, which then allows us to, every time we get kills, it increases our reload rate. Uh, Amongst other things as well, you can buff their health and buff their shields. Obviously, the contract is broken, every time one of the characters dies but it does mean that if you can keep your friend alive and you stay alive yourself you can have crazy buffs to your health your shields your damage your reload speed i think that there's a skill slightly further down the line that we didn't get to where instead of reload speed you get critical hit damage modifier to uh, increase that which is obviously very useful critical damage in borderlands is pretty easy to get you just shoot them in the head it's pretty self-explanatory unless it's not the head is their weak point yeah so i was finding my character to be really useful as a support character and obviously the fact that james could also earn points towards our buffs was fantastic it worked really really well and all just for punching a contract i also had another skill as part of that tree where whenever i got a kill i restored james's shields by half so that was extremely useful as well because your character was a much more get up and close and personal type of character not only that but my character was going down the skill tree that basically meant whenever shields got depleted i'd just go on a complete rampage um i was heading towards the point where i'd have a shoulder cannon that would fire off whenever enemies depleted my shields and then would yeah. only work again Again, when my shields have been fully recharged that's which, right yeah which in synergy with will's ability there would have been two kills because i instantly restore half a shield and also my shield regen was pretty quick anyway from various like kill streaks and things and just um, my badass rank which was also again buffed by another one of my skills i was increasing your shield regen as well exactly so it was perfect honestly we didn't really struggle yeah. with very much in the game at all unless we played uh just one or two of the story missions where we were a little bit under level it's gonna get really good if we continue those files and we actually unlock the rest of the skill trees well i really hope that we do man i think that that is definitely a game to sort of stick there on the back burner now until i'm next able to uh to come down or i'm sure we can figure out a way for us to play it on my xbox at some point and transfer the save files over so for people that aren't familiar with the borderlands series borderlands the pre-sequel is as its name implies is a, a sort of prelude to the sequel of borderlands 2 and this game covers a storyline where you're actually working with the main antagonist of borderlands 2 uh, which is quite an interesting dynamic as well, and you start to see glimpses of how he starts to make a path towards evil. Because Handsome Jack wasn't all that evil to begin with, although perhaps a little bit unstable. Very much unstable and unhinged, but it's actually kind of a good guy to begin with. Kind of. <laughs> he has anger problems, but you know he did save us can't really complain there that is true i really enjoyed the mix-up of the gameplay that pre-sequel introduced uh you're sort of based off world i believe for the first time not on pandora uh to begin with yeah so the game involves uh, a few more elements such as managing your oxygen meter which really isn't that much of an issue at all that's uh, kind of more of an excuse just run around and turn on these mini terraformers that just sort of create a field of uh, of oxygen for people to uh to breathe and other than that you can also sort of experiment with a little bit more uh 
uh, anti-gravity. There's uh, much less gravity, so you can afford to jump a lot higher, which is fantastic in terms of the fact that you can also butt-stomp the ground, uh, which creates, like, an area of effect. We were actually, there was one point in the game where we were just kind of alternating between butt-stomps, yeah. really, and, and getting quite far as well. It was just a segment where I guess we had quite a few of the weaker enemies mobbing us. No, yeah, if in doubt, butt-stomp. Okay, whatever you say. A motto that will take you very far in life. But yeah, that was really sort of as far as we got in Borderlands pre-sequel there. I'm looking forward to playing more of it with you, man. Should be good. We'll probably destroy the game. It'll be very fun. I think so. But yes, that, that covers me and my catch-up, man. Obviously, we've spoken a little bit about what you've got up to this week, but what else have you been up to? Yeah, uh, so other than the games that we've already talked about this week, I continued my playthrough of Resident Evil 4. So uh, just a few things to pick up here uh, as I've continued playing through. I'll start off with uh, some good news. We did talk a little bit in some previous episodes about the uh you know the suspected unfortunate demise of the doggo uh in resident evil 4 people familiar with the original game will be uh aware of a scene as you begin where you stumble upon a dog whose leg is caught in a bear trap you can open the bear trap and set the dog free and that will benefit you later or you can choose to ignore the dog or you know if you're really sick choose to shoot the dog and then that will obviously not have the benefit that you uh you would have earned if you decided to rescue it so so starting the chainsaw demo, which was the uh, the the demo to Resident Evil 4, I did notice on my playthrough that there was a wolf who appeared to be caught in the bear trap. However, the wolf was clearly dead. It was uh, insides on the outsides. Yes, and you shattered my dreams when I asked you if the dog was alive, and you said, no, James, it's dead. Sorry to be the bringer of bad news. Uh, however, this time, I'm actually the bringer of good news, because it turns out that, of course, Capcom didn't kill the doggo, or at least not that doggo, this is a, a different one. You stumble upon it shortly after you meet the village chief, and he sort of, uh, he holds off from killing you because... At this point, Leon is now infected with the parasite that is mind-controlling the villagers who you were fighting against. You do actually get the opportunity to rescue a dog out of a bear trap shortly after you leave his house, which was a, which was a cool moment. I'm pleased they stuck in. And thinking back on it, it would have been a very ballsy move to kill off such an iconic and fan-favourite moment of the game as to sort of what the benefit of saving the dog is later on, which we won't get into just now, just for anyone that's playing RE4 for the first time. But it was just a, uh, it was a really, it was a cool moment to bring in. And once again, they've done that thing that I was talking about last week where they keep things feeling new and fresh and they somehow manage to surprise you, although that the end content is still essentially the same by moving around the order of things and reversing things bringing in things a little earlier than they might have happened previously very good well i'm glad the dog's alive that's really the main thing the dog survived the remaster um there were some other cool things i noticed and this one might actually be uh part of the original game but it's just something that because of the way I play the game now and I kind of run through, I may just not have noticed before, but actually while I was fighting through one of the areas and uh, you encounter enemies that are chucking dynamite at you, if you stand on one of the rope bridges and they keep on tracking the dynamite, the bridge will eventually just fall through and kill you, which I don't recall being a thing in the OG title, although, uh, as I say, it might just be because of the way that I've been running through those titles more recently. Wise not to hang around if people are throwing dynamite at you. Especially on a rope bridge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was kind of, like, uh, taking the whole... Uh, 
uh, video game logic kind of thing and thinking that not everything was destructible. But I'm pleased to say that they have um, surprised me quite a few times in terms of little death traps and things like that that have come along. The first time that you meet the evil dogs shortly after the lake boss fight. So that moment actually happens a lot sooner in the remaster as well. So you're kind of plodding through just expecting nothing to happen and you're going to go through an area calmly when all of a sudden goes down and all of a sudden you're ambushed by a bunch of dogs. So that's uh, another cool panicky moment as well. They're doing a good job of taking those moments where you thought you had a breather in the OG one and injecting a load of mayhem into them. Also, uh, in terms of some new weapons, James, you'll remember your playthrough with Evil Within as Sebastian Castellanos as yes. part of the Gamer Challenge last year. I do. However, you failed to pick up the explosive crossbow uh, during your playthrough of that oh, game. Whoa, which whoa, is... whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not say I failed. It didn't get into my inventory. Neglected. <laughs> I didn't know it was in the game. I yeah. <laughs> So that bolt thrower, uh, it, it has multiple uses. It can fire uh, darts. It can also fire explosives and all sorts of various different rounds that are great for blowing up bad guys. You actually get something very similar in the Resident Evil 4 remake. Uh, I don't think you experimented very much with the mine thrower in the Resident Evil 4 original title. I didn't know there was a mine thrower in the game. Yeah, so that's one of the ones that you can buy off of the merchant, and it will just essentially fire a bomb that will stick to a surface and then explode after a certain amount of time, or I believe okay. you can shoot it with your pistol and explode as well. It's a cheaper rocket launcher that obviously does less damage and fires in a slightly more specific way. Well, they've replaced that now with the bolt thrower, so it serves that dual purpose of, yes, you can still lay mines because you can attach explosive to the bolts and shoot them into walls to actually act as tripwires. However, you can also just straight up use them as a sort of like a big heavy bolt to shoot directly into enemies as well which is obviously as you'd imagine pretty damn effective that'll do the trick coupled with that as well you can also craft quite a few more items in the game as well as combining the herbs to make various medicinal lotions and potions for leon you can also create things like pistol ammo and shotgun ammo sort of more in line with the uh, recent resident evil remasters and titles however you can also craft really useful items like flash grenades and bolt throwing ammo as well as well as some of the explosive ammos that goes along with that so that again is a bit more similar to evil within in terms of the resource management there that they've added a bit of a crafting system and the ability to craft things like flash grenades is extremely useful given just how useful they become in terms of some of the later enemies in the game you know we spoke a little bit in the last episode about how if you'll kill an enemy in the game that a parasite will start to come out in the og title later down the line there's fully fledged parasite body explosions that happen. <laughs> Happen, and uh, you can use a flash grenade uh, to damage them because they're extremely sensitive to light. Hence the reason why that they only explode out of the body during nighttime. Yes, yeah, so I remember you telling me about that after I'd done the game challenge in the original game. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, again, with that knowledge in hindsight, you'll know that uh, yeah, very useful to have those flash grenades in tricky scenarios like that, especially if the game isn't particularly forthcoming with giving you them in the level. Fans of the shooting gallery as part of the merchant will also be pleased to know that that makes a return in the game it also makes a return just like the dogs a little bit earlier i think in the original title you finally get a shooting gallery that you can use to earn various 3d models that you could then examine it's like a model viewer they've changed it around in this one you go into the shooting gallery actually i think before you even fight the lake beast and when you go in there now you 
earn these discs. You get regular silver discs and gold discs. You can use those to put into a slot machine. Each time you need to put in three of them, and I assume depending on the more gold ones you stick in versus silver, the better the drop that will happen. But it essentially drops a charm. And these charms come out kind of like a, I don't know what you'd call them, you know, like those old machines that you'd used to go to the supermarket and hassle your parents for a quid or something so you could get a piece of plastic out of them. Right, you know, like the, the gumball machine. Yeah, kind of like a gumball machine for toys sort of thing. It works very similar to that. And we spoke a little bit last week about these charms, and I actually called them weapons charms. Yeah. I was mistaken in that. They're not weapons charms. They're actually charms that you use to attach to your briefcase. And these right. charms are actually useful in the sense that they actually have perks associated with them. So currently, I have a charm on my briefcase that gives me something like 15% extra health gain from any healing item. Pretty right. useful. You get another charm that will give you a potential 30% increase on the amount of pistol ammo you're able to craft when you use five gunpowder to make it. So, you know, you could end up with 10 bullets, you could end up with 13 or whatever. Um, so that's pretty useful as well. Uh, you can have the same for, I assume, other weapons in the game. So as you play through the shooting gallery, unlike the original where you're just getting a model viewer, you're actually getting some pretty useful passive abilities in the background. That's quite neat. Actually, it gives you a reason to actually play the thing as well. I did find the shooting galleries really fun to kind of replay and figure out the order and try and get the best score. So at this point in the game, uh, I've pretty much just got past the lake boss fight and uh, I'm ready to, well, I'm sort of staring wistfully at the castle across the way uh, and I'm hoping that I get to there at some point. Nice, and how was that fight? The lake fight was really fun. If you've played it before, you're being tugged around the lake by uh, a creature that is holding onto a rope attached to your motorboat, dragging you around. It works exactly the same way. You need to avoid the sort of various driftwood in the lake so you don't get knocked off. The thing that does function differently is that your boat has a health bar now as opposed to you. I think in the original one, you just had a regular health bar and you would get knocked off your boat. And if your health bar was low enough that the monster would eat you, essentially, that was that was how it worked before. Now it's a case of, it does function the same way, but your boat has the health bar. Leon doesn't get knocked out of the boat until the boat's health bar is empty. At that point, when Leon gets knocked out of the boat, he then gets swallowed up by the creature. They've gotten rid of any QTs that I've seen so far where you just have to mash to like swim. Yes, yeah, so they got rid of all the fake tension then. It wasn't necessarily fake tension. You could outmash if your health was low, but you had to do it like crazy. It was almost guaranteed. If your health was low enough, you just weren't going to make it. And they've also got rid of, uh, from what I can tell so far, the cutscene QTEs that would catch you off guard. Just as you finish a chapter, you put the controller down, think, nice one, all right, time to little settle in for a little cutscene, a little chat with Hunnigan. And then before you know it, Krauser f***ing cuts your throat in a cutscene. So they, they seem to have got rid of all of those things as well, which is, uh, you know, uh, not an issue for me at all. Quite happy to see the back of those. Um, they would often cost me my first death of the run, as I would do exactly that. Just <laughs> sit back and relax during a cutscene. Little did I know you'd be suddenly under attack so after surviving the lake monster boss fights i uh sort of put the game down at that point it was time to crack on with the podcast i'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that in the upcoming episodes i'm sure that this one uh will take me a little longer to complete i remember the original being a pretty long title so interested to see after getting to the end of this just how much content they've caught if any at all and uh yeah watch this space and I'm now looking forward to, because you're now at the point really where you can start buying rocket launchers soon. I actually have just unlocked the ability to start buying rocket launchers. There you go. I'm not going to do it because I want to actually experience the boss fights oh, for their kind of entirety. Boo, boo. 
I think that the uh, the rocket launch from Efford might have flown quite well in your gamer challenge, I think, in terms of obviously just trying to get through the game, but I would highly recommend that people don't opt for that in terms of actually getting to experiencing the game in its entirety. You're missing out on the rocket launcher, you're not experiencing the game in its entirety. That's all I'll say. Although you do a couple times, at the very least once, get a free rocket launcher, so, you know, you, you always do get that experience of firing it. So, man, we'll talk a little bit more Resident Evil 4 at a later date. For now, I think it's time to move on to the gaming news. So, our first article of the day from GameSpot.com. E3 2023 has been cancelled. Yes, that's right. The video game's biggest annual expo has been cancelled. Which I'm sure no one saw coming. I think that it was, uh, you know, it was quite likely that this was going to happen, or at least it was definitely on the cards. It's a bit of a disappointment, though. I mean, I think that the future of these sort of large-scale events is kind of a bit murky in terms of the cost. And obviously now, following the pandemic, the amount of people that are actually willing to travel so far and go to such a populated environment, I think it all has a slight knock-on effect. I think, to be honest, the biggest nail in the coffin was actually everyone pulling out of it. That's right, and all sort of having their own sort of events. Exactly. Everyone's just doing their own thing. So the ESA president, uh, that is the Entertainment Software Association, not the European Space Agency. (laughs) So the CEO of the ESA, Stanley Pierre-Louis, gave an interview explaining why E3 23 was cancelled. He largely attributed E3 2023's demise to a combination of publishers adjusting their marketing plans due to changes in the economy and deciding to run their own digital showcases, as James alluded to there. Uh, He also explained that several companies have reported that the timeline for game development has been altered since the start of the COVID pandemic. Economic headwinds have also caused several companies to reassess how they invest in large marketing events. And thirdly, that companies are starting to experiment with how to find the right balance between in-person events and digital marketing opportunities. Uh, again, they're sort of pointing towards the costs, I imagine, that can be saved in terms of hosting a digital event, something like the Game Awards, the Nintendo Direct, uh, PlayStation State of Play, Xbox Game Showcase. All of these things are largely taking place online. And all of that loosely translates to people have realised it's cheaper and more efficient to do it themselves, so they're not going to spend money to do it at E3, basically. It's kind of the end of an era, isn't it, really? Because, I mean, E3 was quite a big annual event. Uh, in terms of when I was growing up, I would always follow E3. I'd look forward to seeing the new games that were announced during the event as well as to sort of see the fallout of the controversies the awkward moments that would always take place as well it was always a goldmine on youtube in terms of random things that would happen at the event there would always be some sort of trouble yeah and it was the place to get your gaming updates and things like that and it was where people announced their games people would save things specifically for e3 because it does hit that sweet spot it's right in the summer so you can announce your games for the end of the year you can announce games for the following year it's it was a really good way to do it but no more Certainly not this year. It doesn't sound like it'll be the death of E3, though. There is no confirmation currently as to whether E3 will return in 2024. However, it does sound like if it will return, it will be uh, perhaps more of a larger digital-only event rather than an in-person one as well. It sounds like they will definitely have to reassess how that works. But also, as we've mentioned, seeing that a lot of these producers are actually pulling out of the event and doing their own things, what will E3 have to show for it when it does come round again in 2024? Well, I personally don't think it will come in 2024. I think it's dead. 
I think that there's absolutely a place in E3 for smaller indie video game studios. That, if anything, will probably be the sort of the future of E3. That it's unlikely that we'll see these large AAA studios and consoles coming to these events. And it'll actually be a more showcase for smaller independent developers. Which, again, we already get a big flooding of that in these game awards uh, and other events. But it will be interesting to see just how they handle that. If they do indeed decide to handle it at all. As I say, I personally don't think they'll do that. You think E3 is just going to crumble now? I do, yeah. It doesn't look good to me. Well, one thing's for certain, if they do decide to put on another E3, they're definitely going to have to reassess their game plan. Up next in gaming news, from NME, Vampire Survivors wins best game at the BAFTA Game Awards. That's right, Vampire Survivors beating out God of War Ragnarok and Elden Ring once again. A total of 18 BAFTAs were awarded at the ceremony, with God of War Ragnarok taking home the lion's share of those. Obviously, FromSoft's 2022 hit Elden Ring, which won Game of the Year at the Game Awards 2022, also won awards for Best Multiplayer and Original Property. Mm. Little bit debatable there on the multiplayer front, I mean, I still haven't been able to hang around in a friend's online session for more than about 15 minutes before getting unceremoniously disconnected. That's incredibly debatable, yeah. Yeah, also, I mean, it seems like the multiplayer, from my perspective, although that they do have various modes and they've obviously increased the amount of things that you can do with the Colosseums, I think that in terms of the fact that the stability is such an issue for me, that absolutely put that one on the back burner in terms of, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm extremely surprised that we haven't yet had a co-op run on Elden Ring, uh, given the fact that we enjoyed our Bloodborne run-through and our beginning of our Dark Souls run-through so much. We tried. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> we, tried. we did try. We did yeah. try. We started and then it just wasn't working out although to, i will say i agree with everything you just said there but i will say caveated by the fact i haven't played the coliseum dlc i don't know how much if at all that's improved anything and i haven't experienced the new mode so i don't have very much personal yeah. experience with the coliseums but stuff i've heard from friends suggests that they're having exactly the same disconnection issues in the coliseum it's just yeah, the same issue elsewhere now yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's kind of what I was expecting. It's a shame, considering it's won that award, but on the face of it, the best way to play Elden Ring at this point involves installing a third-party mod that both improves the seamlessness of the multiplayer, as well as making it much more stable as well. Maybe that's what should have won the award, not FromSoft. <laughs> yeah, that the mod. modder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shout out to Luke Yu's mod for Elden Ring, the seamless co-op mod. Absolutely get yourself over to Nexus and give that a go if you're struggling to play with your friends. Also, uh, winning some awards on the list, a Zelda-inspired adventure game called Tunic won two awards for the artistic achievement and debut game. James, is this a title that you're familiar with at all? Heard of, but know nothing about. It definitely, looking at a little bit of gameplay earlier today, sounds like something that you might want to have your eye on. It's uh, it's another, like Vampire Survivals, made by a single developer. The uh, designer, Andrew Shouldis, actually developed Tunic over the course of seven years as his first major project. So this game is a sort of isometric-style soul Soulsy dungeon crawler type game where you play as a fox character. By Soulsy, I mean that you have a dash, you have a dodge roll, uh, which consumes stamina. There's various puzzles and traps within the dungeons. There's very challenging boss battles. I didn't notice a stamina consumption on weapon swing. Uh, however, that may well be a thing. It did look like that you'd have some sort of spells. And like I mentioned earlier, it's also slightly Zelda inspired. So there's a lot of item usage that will allow you to both solve puzzles as well as defeat enemies. Sounds pretty intriguing. And uh, 
uh, I know that you're quite a fan of action adventure games that have a sort of Souls-like presence combined with a little bit of Zelda as well. It sounds like this could very well be something that would interest you. As long as it's not like Breath of the Wild, yeah. It's nothing like Breath of the Wild, I'll say that. I've been talking about old school Zelda games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That could be my, my street then, yeah. I mean, I could say I'm pretty sure I've seen it before and there must have been something that stopped me looking into it further. I'll be honest, the uh, art style for me isn't particularly appealing. It's kind of a lot of soft pastel colours uh, and sort of 3D fairly simplistic models but I can definitely see I can definitely see why people find that style appealing it's it is nice to look at uh just in terms of my general tastes I mean we've just come off of the back of talking about Resident <laughs> Evil 4 I think it's it's one of those ones that I respect and uh I think it, it does look nice uh just not for me Fair. stick me in a gloomy Diablo style dungeon with the same gameplay and uh it may well appeal to me a lot more however ultimately it was the 2022 breakout indie hit Vampire Survivors that took home best game after winning the game design BAFTA earlier on in the night. The development team at Ponkel took the stage to accept their award with Xbox head Phil Spencer congratulating their great achievement, adding that it was awesome to see the industry recognition. Now Phil Spencer's been pretty outspoken on Vampire Survivors, has even taken to Twitter a couple times to post his 100% completed achievement page on the game. So there's clearly a lot of love going around for this game from the big heads as well as the fans themselves. And you know, I wanted to sort of cover this one today because I'm still playing my way through Vampire Survivors still consistently unlocking new characters and finding new things to do, new secrets, and I've just got a whole lot of love for this game, so I'll jump at any chance to give this game their flowers. Yeah, no, fair play. I've I've played four hours or so of it and thoroughly enjoyed it, and I can see exactly why they've won the award, really. Do I think it's more deserving than Elden Ring? No. Not at all. Like you say, fair play to the developer and, you know, they do deserve their flowers for creating such an addicting game. And it's an addicting game, but it's a game that has had, in my opinion, just as much love and care put into it as Elden Ring in terms of the amount of character variations, enemy descriptions, vague references and lore in the game. It's the sort of thing that it will appeal to a lot of people because in terms of every item description, every power-up, there's something in there. They haven't just put it in there for the sake of putting it in there sort of thing, which I think that that is a hallmark sign of a, of a great game for me is uh, the love that's been poured into it and it's very evident in Vampire Survivors. Yep, from what I've seen I can't disagree with that statement. Okay, so rounding off with our third and final news article for this week CD Projekt Red can't seem to decide if Polaris is the Witcher 4 or not. This is an article from our friends at Game Rant. Shout outs. So many people already know and as we've discussed on the podcast multiple times CD Projekt Red has been working on a new Witcher game. Several in fact, but it's only recently that the studio has referred to Project Polaris as Witcher 4. At long last, CD Projekt Red has finally referred to the next game in its upcoming The Witcher series saga as The Witcher 4, but it seems as though this may have been a slip of the tongue from the studio CEO. Given the codename Polaris, a new game in the overarching Witcher series is currently in development and will form part of the next saga in the fantasy franchise. Since it was announced in 2022, CD Projekt Red has insisted this new Witcher game will not be numbered. In fact, not much is really known about the game, or even if this mysterious Polaris is indeed The Witcher 4. However, it seems as though a nugget of information may have slipped out. According to a recent report from Games Radar, CD Projekt Red president Adam Shizinski referred to the next game in the company's RPG series as The Witcher 4. During an earnings conference call, the CEO mentioned the desire to release three new games in the developers The Witcher's franchise over the next six years, quoted, starting from the release of Polaris, which is Witcher 4. This suggests that the studio could be calling the upcoming project The Witcher 4. 
Now, that's what the article says. I personally don't believe that they will necessarily be calling it The Witcher 4. I think that that could be sort of an offhand comment from Krzyzynski, kind of forgetting, uh, you know, the way that these things can be construed and just saying The Witcher 4 is in technically, in terms of the chronological series of the games, this is the fourth Witcher title. So on one hand, you do have that, which is a slightly perhaps more cynical view in terms of the fact that this doesn't really suggest that it is The Witcher 4. On the other hand, the fact that he has said Witcher's Witcher 4, to me, suggests that we could be seeing another Witcher title with Geralt if you do follow that thought that we're here on a numbered title again. It's either going to be Geralt or Ciri, right? In theory, yes. Neither of which I'm too excited about. Oh, really? Are you not looking forward to jumping back into The Witcher as Geralt again? I mean, yes, it would be great, but they ended it so nicely. I don't... I, As I've said when we first brought this up um, in the news weeks ago whenever what well, months ago geez it would be great to see Geralt love Geralt would have no problem to a, to a point if Geralt came back for a fourth game but they ended it so nicely at the end of three and you can't have Siri because she's too powerful it won't make sense yeah I think that they would seriously need to step things up yeah. if they were going to do a Siri storyline in terms of the uh, the way that the game functions there's no exactly. more walking around fighting regular humans and things like no. that or neckers and drowners <laughs> exactly so so I mean I don't know how to feel about that because I, I personally I probably come down more on the side of what you first said which is they probably refer to it as witcher 4 in the office and you know, yeah because it's, it's easier than saying the fourth witcher <laughs> yeah or project polaris which i imagine if you say it enough times in a day it'll start slurring because it's too many yeah days. but <laughs> but then it's the fact that this quote you've got here says starting from the release of polaris which is witcher 4 again what can you get from a very tiny piece of potentially misquoted uh yeah. you know dialogue there who knows you know i mean the only thing that it would seem is fairly concrete from that statement is that it's going to be sequentially set after The Witcher 3 was. That is about yes. the only thing you can say with some certainty that Witcher 4 will be set after the events of The Witcher 3 based on this statement. But even that isn't necessarily true. We've spoken about a pre-sequel earlier on in this show. Yeah, exactly. You, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I still hope, and it might not be this one, it might be one of these other three titles in six years or whatever you said. Was it three or four you said there? Six years, uh, they've got a plan for another three new games. Yeah. So I'm hoping that at least one of them, whether it's this one or not, will be a create your own Witcher, pick your own school type thing. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. I would love to have a Witcher story that allowed me to create my own character yeah. and pick a school and do all of that sort of stuff. I think, yeah, fantastic. And that would be a nice way of saying, right after the events of witcher 3 siri restarted the taking of children and corrupting them or whatever the f um and got some new witches going you then are one of those new witches maybe you get taught by siri instead of vesemir maybe you have appearances from Geralt. maybe you have appearances from some of the people that you let survive in the witcher 3 if they're going to continue it directly or if there's like a cutoff point for canon and they say right these guys survived these didn't you know could we see siri being maybe 30 years older maybe being old lady siri Geralt can look like Vesemir. <laughs> Geralt's that, fat. No. I would love to yeah. see a fat Geralt. <laughs> yeah, but that would be all great, wouldn't it? That would be super like uh, Andre Sapolsky's writing style, that like Geralt's f***ing retired and just living it up now. Like you, man, I am hoping for a Witcher game that is not based around Geralt, or at least is not a playable character, and yeah. uh, a little bit more customization this time round. Although I love the Witcher games for what they are, the main point of improvement for me would always be the ability to sort of create your own character and pick your own path as opposed to playing a kind of spectrum of a certain character that the game has instead. Okay, man, I think that's enough speculation about the Witcher. I think it's time that we moved on to Completionist's Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. Corner. Ha, ha. 
So, following the events of our coverage of Resident Evil 2 last week, where rookie cop Leon, on his first day of the job, drives towards Raccoon City and discovers a conspiracy that involves zombies, monsters, and a international megacorporation, he also uncovers a conspiracy that involves spies, scientists, and a deadly virus. So over the course of this game, Leon battles past a zombie-infested police station, a mutant monster-infested sewers, as well well as a plant zombie infested underground lab. This week however, the game takes place as we start off on the other side of the coin as Claire Redfield, who as I covered last week is the sister to previous series protagonist Chris Redfield. Claire's story begins as she encounters Leon escaping from the gas station after encountering his first zombie. Leon and Claire then jump in Leon's car and drive towards the city to try and figure out the cause of all this chaos. At this point, again as we covered last week, Leon and Claire are separated after getting into a car accident with a zombified truck driver and are then left fighting their way through the streets of Raccoon City before both arriving at a police station, albeit on other sides behind different locked doors. At this point, James, I'm going to pass it over to you as you're leading on the Completionist Corner this week. Thank you very much, sir. So, as Will has mentioned there, basically the story to this point from the gas station up to getting to Raccoon City is exactly identical to what Leon went through last week. That's right. We start off as Claire, and we basically enter the story at a point where Leon Leon is already inside the police station and is doing whatever he's up to. That's right. We briefly meet him outside, um, just over where the helicopter has crashed into the building. Shortly after that fact. Just just after that, there's like a gated area that's locked. Claire is on one side of the gate, Leon on the other, and we have a little chat. little pep talk. Leon says, don't lose hope. Exactly, and then says, we're both going to get out of this. Some zombies turn up, so we have to go our separate ways. And this is where Claire's story begins. First thing to sort of make note of off the bat, because it's going to be a theme that sort of carries on throughout this story, is that with Leon, we started off with a very specific pistol called Matilda. With Claire, we do not start off with that pistol. We start off with an ever so slightly different pistol. It's kind of a, um, think of your sort of six shot revolver type gun. So that's worth noting because zero weapons in this run are the same as weapons Leon used, with the exception of possibly one, but it's kind of an end game reward for Leon. So it doesn't really count, but we'll get to that when we come to it. And of course, you know, things like the the flash grenades, frag grenades. Oh yeah, sidearms are exactly the same. I'm talking more about main weapon. Right, so the first thing we do is we backtrack a little bit and we head into a side room where we find um, a set of bolt cutters and very conveniently a key that will get us through that gate. <laughs> there we go. Basically, so that that's how we get into the police station. Um, we enter the police station through that locked door, as I say, and similarly to Leon's quest, the first thing, first main objective here is collect the medallions so we can get to the underground car park. This pretty much follows a similar pattern to what Leon does with a couple of notable exceptions. Firstly, it's worth noting that Mr. X is here straight away from the get-go this time. Yeah, they hit you with him a lot faster. A lot faster. So you sort of see him on a CCTV screen. That's right. It's the same monitor that you see the police officer being attacked as Leon. You see Mr. X approaching the camera and destroying it as Claire. Yeah. And then it did not take very long for him to turn up in my game, at least. Although, interesting side note, later on when you do turn off the fire for the helicopter bit, you still get the bit where he... You still get the lifting up bit, ...lifts up the helicopter, which I thought was interesting. There's a couple of bits in this game where it's called Scenario B. I don't think it's necessarily 100% canonical, because there is a little mix of things that obviously if Mr. X lifted and shifted it with Leon, then obviously he couldn't have done it for Claire, unless he carefully placed it back there after the Leon 
one moment. <laughs> yeah, no. And I'm glad you've said that because towards the end, there's a couple of things where there's a clear time paradox. <laughs> so I'm glad you said that. Like some of it, obviously, like same puzzles and things like that. Video game. Cool. No worries. But there's a couple of bits towards the end that we'll get onto. but you pretty much answered now why that is. But yes, so not too much use going into the puzzles and things like that because they are essentially the same as Leon's. You know, some of the things are slightly different. It's not exactly the same safe codes. It's not exactly Typically done the in same a different blocks. order, isn't it? Exactly. But worth noting a couple of key differences from some of these solutions is that we found a weapons locker card key with Leon, which allowed us to get to the shotgun, the locker room slash storage place, I guess, armory. That's right. With Claire, this is not the shotgun. This is a grenade launcher which is pretty handy but it fires either flaming or acidic sort of grenade capsules if you like and what they do is they just they explode on someone and cover them in said fire or acid incredibly useful for boss fights this was very good for boss fights both the acid and the flame rounds very effective flame particularly i found yes you're right yeah may just be the way i played the flaming rounds also seem to be a lot more common than the acidic ones i don't think you actually pick up any acid rounds i think for the most part you need to craft them i do that's probably why (laughs) yeah yeah so the the gunpowder works slightly differently in scenario b is when you play as claire as well so instead of crafting shotgun rounds when you mix a a light gunpowder and a heavy gunpowder you actually make acid rounds right and then if you mix two heavies interestingly you make uzi rounds when you sort of do the bit of puzzle that allows you to you get the red book you put it in the statue's arm you get the scepter you get the red jewel you put the red jewel in the box you get the star badge usb that's right you uh instead of the magnum which is what you get in Leon's playthrough, I believe, you get a submachine gun. And this was very, very handy. Not as handy as I would have liked it to have been, if I'm being totally honest. Oozes a little bit sh- isn't it yeah let's but, be honest honestly it's yeah <laughs> but you thinking like okay this is instead of the magnum this is going to be a boss killer right no 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 this is not the boss killer this is i use the uzi mainly to do my sort of shotgun tactic of shoot pepper the, the zombies and knock them away i did exactly. the same yeah 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 because if you get them like with i don't know four or five rounds to the head they're gonna leave you alone for a couple of seconds and you can run past so that's right yeah both happy and disappointed with this weapon i've got to say it has a very cool use because you can find a silencer for it later on which is extremely useful in terms of both not alerting mr rex because as we both know if you manage to run away from him the moment you fire a gun he's going to make a beeline for your location yeah also uh the fact that often there will be zombies in the room that are sensitive to sound if you shoot one zombie in the room the other ones are going to kind of activate wake up and start walking around whereas if you're carefully walking around the room and using your submachine gun you might not have to deal with as many enemies as well but overall i'm there with you i wanted a lot more firepower to that uzi that it lacked severely exactly or at least have that in a different spot where like not where the magnum was it's misleading isn't it they should have swapped around the uzi and the grenade launcher they really should have done (laughs) Yeah. yeah that would have been much more appropriate but hey cool that you got an uzi though Nice touch. I wasn't expecting to see an Uzi in a Resi game. So there you go. This is a bit more of a kind of gun action heavy scenario, I would say, to the original one. You seem to get perhaps not more ammo, but more effective ammo. Oh, I found more ammo for sure. And I was finding a lot of ammo with Leon. Fine, yeah, I mean, I found a lot with Leon as well. Plus, you always get way too much gunpowder than you actually need, oh, which yeah. is great as well. Yeah, I ended up leave, leaving most of it, though. Yeah. What I do like about this game that we didn't actually cover in last week's was um, if you find an item and you don't pick it up, that item is marked on your map, which is really handy. So it's like, all right, I don't need that heavy gunpowder now, but if I need it, it's there and I know where it is. That is just nice, particularly as you can't mark your own map. Absolutely. And that was something that was a new addition to the remake as well. Yeah. I think previously they'd had it in other titles where if you 
search a room, it initially begins off as red once you've gone into the room. And then upon finally getting everything done, the room turns blue on your yeah. map. But it's nice to also have a little reminder of where all the items are stashed as well. So you're not kind of scratching your head wondering where that pesky first aid spray is hiding. And it's also nice because it doubles up with this. It's not just items, but you also get markings for what key is needed for the door for the um very suit, useful the suit as of well. hearts keys like really cool stuff but yes aside from those though really we sort of did pretty much a lot of the same puzzles the combinations were different on the medallion statues as i say but we end up getting our three medallions also you get a little bit of additional context into the game as you're exploring the police station as well you also get a little bit more context which sheds a bit more light into the location of chris redfield in our playthrough as leon last week once you arrive in the stars office which is the the special police force that is hired by the raccoon police department uh which includes the the sort of the band of protagonists from the original resident evil game the letter says as leon reads it the chris is off somewhere in Europe with an attractive woman having a great time and he's kind of bragging about it to all of the other people and he's reassuring them he's all fine however when Claire picks up and reads the same letter she mumbles under her breath something like that doesn't sound like Chris at all so there's this added context that actually that did sound out of place when I was playing that through on the first run that doesn't sound like Chris it's very unlikely that that's actually what's going on and he's probably elsewhere uh, and this is either you know someone that's covering for him or a fake letter from Chris himself but no so we get the three medallions from the statues put them into the big statue in the main foyer of the police station and we head underground this is where the first sort of major difference in the first two stories comes in because when we get underground and we start heading down into the underground facility to get to the underground car park we get to a section where with leon we moved a big sort of metallic sort of cupboard filing cabinet type thing out of the way of a door so that we could progress through with claire we're not strong enough to do it <laughs> she can't um, shift it. She can't shift it, so she sort of thinks she's at a dead end, but then hiding sort of in and amongst this is a, a young girl, and she's sort of very scared. She sees that we're not a zombie, so is then slightly pacified, but is still very scared. We try and engage in conversation with her. We say, look, take our hand. We, we won't hurt you. And she goes, I can't. He's right behind you. And this is where we have Birkin fight number one. Now, you may remember from last week, big old shoulder eye guy with his big freaky arm and <laughs> his sort of two and heads. And a pipe. He's going to batter you with his pipe. This fight is exactly the same as the Leon fight. Although I did find it a lot easier with the grenade launcher and the goddamn Uzi. Yeah. Exactly what I was about to say, minus the bit about the Uzi, because that wasn't helpful at all. Oh, I find it really good to shoot his eye. Ah, grenade launcher. <laughs> but yep, yeah, we have this fight. Same sort of thing happens. Birkin grabs it as eye and falls off a, off a ledge again. Oops, goodbye. Yeah, the, one thing that, the one thing that <laughs> I will say that is a theme throughout the whole of this scenario that you sort of see slightly here but not really it comes more later i'm sure it's because the little girl's involved which we'll get into more later as well but birkin is a lot more humanized in this scenario you almost see an inner struggle whenever he tries to fight claire because typically the little girl is around that's exactly it and for reasons that we'll get into it almost seems to make him second guess and hesitate in a lot of situations but and even perhaps in some situations outright protective but yes yeah, so at this point, Birkin has fallen off the ledge. The child lowers the ladder. The little girl tells us that her name is Sherry. 
and says she's looking for her mum. She also tells you that her mum works in medicine or something. So that's kind of another bit of a pointer towards the actual reality of what Doesn't she actually say Umbrella? And then Claire goes, oh, the pharmaceutical company. She does. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, here we go. So if you listen to last <laughs> week's episode, you probably know who the mother is. But uh, so at this point, we end up going through the rest of the facility and we end up in the underground police car park again. That's right. With Leon. Ada turned up at this point. This one is a very different scenario indeed. So we end up in the underground car park and instead of being greeted by Ada, we're greeted by a sort of burly man with a moustache. Police and Chief Irons. Police Chief Irons, exactly. And considering he's the police chief, he thought he might be a little bit more friendly, but... He's not. He pistol whips Claire. <laughs> he's kind of a dick. He seems to know who Sherry is and she knows who he is because... She's f***ing scared of him. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know whether you need to know who he was previously to be scared of him. He's a pretty scary guy. <laughs> no, he but, seems very unhinged. Yes, but, but, yeah, without, I mean, but with the context that Sherry knows him from, it's, it's fair enough. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so he makes Sherry tie us up with some sort of cable ties and takes Sherry with him to we don't know where. But as Sherry is being dragged away and we're sort of tied up, having been pistol whipped by Chief Irons, as Will says there, um, Sherry drops a locket, and which we then pick up. There is sort of an exposed piece of metal grating, which looks like it's on the drain of the car park floor. That's right. And we're able to cut our wrists free with that. Agonizingly, the gate closes just before we can get to it and give chase. Oh, those rascals. So. So we've got this locket and we now have to try and find a way to get out. Now with Leon, we had a very nice journalist chap who got completely killed by Mr. X getting his head crushed in a cell who had a pass on him. With Claire, we don't quite have that luxury. However, we have a look, little look around the underground car park a bit. We go through the kennels and stuff like we mentioned last week. We get a key from the morgue similar to like we did with Leon last week. We do. There's liquors now though in the kennels. But there are liquors in the kennels. Yeah. No doggos whatsoever, but I think two liquors. That's right. Yeah, one. two liquors. Yeah. Made short work of with the grenade launcher though. It was, but it scared the shit out of me. I was, I was oh, expecting yeah. dogs. So I was oh, like, yeah. oh damn. <laughs> you kind of run into the room and then all of a sudden you hear this liquor noise and the sounds of them coming towards you. Yeah, that's a pretty sort of heart-in-your-mouth moment. Yeah, and I think one was on the floor and one was on the roof, which just made it better. They can actually pounce from the ceiling straight onto you as yeah. well. It's so f***ing scary when they do that. Yeah, so, no, it was very nice touch, but... You know, fairly tough fight, but grenade launches are great. Big area of effect and fire really, really does a job on those liquors. I'll tell you now. Oh, yes. But no, so we end up going back into the police station. It basically follows a similar puzzle pattern with the exception of instead of having to get electrical components to open the cell, we actually get a different key. In Leon's playthrough, we didn't get the heart key. We got the club key. And in Claire's playthrough, we don't get the club key, but we get the heart key. And the main place the heart key lets you get into that's different to Leon's playthrough is Chief Irons' office. This is quite an office, right? God it's damn. It's a f***ing lavish office. I think yeah. the guy likes taxidermy. I do. Yeah, me too. And I think he also likes collecting rare artifacts and things like that. He's got a whole like side room that's just dedicated to shit. It's cool. Claire um, even mumbles to herself and I think this is somewhat of the explanation for it. As I mentioned, I, I mentioned when we were speaking that the architect for the prison is also shared the architect for the, uh, the large mansion in Resident Evil 1. They also explain that the police station 
station was previously a museum as well, which again explains somewhat, to some degree, why there's quite so many antiques and artefacts laying around. Various ridiculous, impractical puzzles. So basically, from the underground car park, you get a lift directly up to his office. Getting the electrical parts follows exactly the same pattern. I think these ones are actually in exactly the same locations as well. You had one in the east storage room and one in the clock tower like you did before. That's right, yeah. And you're obviously dodging Mr. Rex while you're trying to find these as well. Exactly, and he nearly came in the clock tower with me, which would have been awkward. I'm not sure oh if he can God. actually get in I there. don't know whether he can. He's never come in there yeah. for me, so I'm going to assume no. no. I've played but it But he can get to the corridor right outside, though. He can, yeah. And that's, yeah. You better have some flash grenades or something. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so after a few pants changes and some good puzzling later... <laughs> We end up back in um, Chief Irons' office, we reattach the electrical components and we open the little side bit and we grab our pass. But this is where it gets a little creepy because as we're in there, a phone rings that's just in there. And this is kind of... Classic rotary phone. It looks like an antique phone, kind of like a museum piece from back in the day or something. And it's um, Chief Irons is ringing us from an unknown location. He's watching us over CCTV and he says... Good to see you again, Claire. We've got unfinished business. And he's like, oh, I'm nearby. <laughs> I won't tell you where. I'm at the orphanage. <laughs> Where's the orphanage? It's nearby. You can't miss it. <laughs> to be fair, you can't miss it. No, you really can't. It's, it looks uh, like it's, a fucking it's... clown house. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I actually, in that section, you know when you, uh, before you actually get to that orphanage, you enter the same street that Ada leads you out to, because it's obviously just following up the top of the ramp. Yeah. This is maybe something that you might not have noticed, but I've talked about to you previously that the introduction to the original Resident Evil 2 is a little longer after you get separated from Claire uh, following the, the truck accident. You then actually go into Kendo's store straight away in that one, after running through various side streets and back alleys and things like that. So now, this section of leaving the parking garage you actually go through all the same streets and back alleys and the uh like the bus that you have to run through to get through a roadblock all of that is in the original title as well so they didn't quite put it in at the same time but they found a way to to sort of splice those alleyways into the remake as well in a very similar fashion to what i was describing with resident evil 4 and the fact that they'll take certain things and drop it a little later on in the game or put it in reverse it's a very cool way of doing things so at this play at this point put the phone down we take our pass we exit the parking garage and suddenly we we're not Claire anymore. What? Shock horror? So with Leon, we had the Ada section. It's secret weapon time. But instead of Ada, because Ada's not in our story, we um, actually take control of Sherry at this point. Now, this was something I wasn't expecting at all. I figured that there might be another section where you controlled someone else. I didn't know if we'd meet Ada somewhere along the line and we control Ada again. But this was cool. So we got to, basically, we're now Sherry. We're locked inside a room. Irons is being a creepy bastard. And he leaves us locked away. And we are sort of left to fend for ourselves. And what we have to do is find a way to escape the room we're in, which is quite a nice little block puzzle. I'm assuming the guy that made the police station and the mansion also made the orphanage because it's uh it's interesting it, you first pick up a child's play block what it looks like and then you have to stick it in a sort of a jewelry box thing and then rearrange the bits to unlock a pair of children's scissors yeah <laughs> video games that you then use to like cut a hole in the wall from a piece of cardboard that's been used to kind of crudely patch a large opening in the wall video game logic especially puzzle video game logic yeah. The logic is, isn't brilliant, but it actually makes for quite a good little section this. You escape the room you're in in the way that Will's just described there, and we end up sneaking downstairs. We get to the front door, but it's locked. So of course it is. So we then try and explore elsewhere, and we actually end up in a room where Chief Irons clearly does his taxidermy, because uh, there's various chemicals and 
acid and things lying around. And a deceased lady wearing a dress also on the table. I'm a little concerned about the fact that the taxidermy may have moved over to humans at this point. That's certainly what it looks like, although with the context of knowing the rest of the story, I actually think it's more likely to be a test subject. You do actually get a little bit more of a context around who that dead lady is in an additional part of a storyline as well. Oh, really? There's a bonus level where you get to get a bit more of a story on that. So at this point, we're sneaking around, we're trying to find a way to escape, and we actually get caught by irons. But ever the quick thinker, this, I don't know, six, seven-year-old girl, <laughs> I don't know how old she's meant to be, <laughs> uh, she just lobs a vat of acid in his face. Um, as if he a- wasn't menacing enough, they needed to make him look like Two-Face as yeah. well. <laughs> I was going to say, because at first, I think, um, if you've ever seen the game Hello Neighbor, he doesn't look too dissimilar <laughs> to the antagonist in Hello it's Neighbor. Not worlds apart, you're right yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> Um, and including with, like the fact that his eyes are kind of slightly weirdly spaced yeah, apart as well. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, there's very, I got very much vibes from this with this whole sherry section. I was like, this is Hello Neighbor, this is wicked. But yeah, so obviously we threw acid in his face and he's pissed. Leave me alone. Just please. Time to teach some manners. Ah! 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 little and we and we book it upstairs get into a room and hide amongst like a dollhouse and some boxes and things like that and this actually led to quite a creepy ass bit which was really cool and i actually uh, getting slightly ahead of myself i deliberately got myself caught here to see what happened oh yeah yeah and, oh man it's, it's gruesome well it's not it gruesome but it's just really scary it's like, the implication yeah yeah it's just like oh damn Cheapy Irons. Chief Irons is a creepy motherfucker. He is, and he's like proper, like, doesn't give a shit if she's a kid. She's just calling her a fucking bitch. You basically have to sort of walk around the various blocks in the room to stay out of his eyesight. He then clears a bit of room for you. Shifts some furniture. Shifts yeah. some furniture and stuff. And then he gets, his eyes get so bad that he has to go into the bathroom, which is conveniently placed in the room, to wash like some of the acid out of his eyes. And what he does is he unlocks the door and leaves the key in the door the implication then being you're meant to sneak up behind him while he's washing his hands grab the key and book it oh yeah it didn't let me stab him in the head with my uh kitty scissors that i found yeah. before so yeah time no, to exactly. run off for the key i suppose yeah i mean if you got to grab the key run off he chases you get to the front door you open it but they're chained together i was like, oh damn really so you get into um the room you were in before actually funnily enough where you lobbed acid in matey's face uh, that's somehow locked i don't recall him locking that but hey I wasn't there. Unlock that, get in there, and uh, eventually get caught by Irons. At the end of that section, Birkin actually gets a hold of Irons and uh, chest injects him with something to stop him from attacking Sherry. And that's where the section ends. And I guess at this point you go back in time ever so slightly to sort of like rejoin where Claire is, but it's whilst all this is going on. I think it says something like 30 minutes prior or something like that. Yeah. So at this point we take control of Claire again. So as as we mentioned before, um, we make our way to the orphanage via a sort of back alley section and through a bus and you really can clearly see what building the orphanage is because it's just colourful looks like a you know like the house your kid would draw in school it, it looks <laughs> yeah. like that like colourful blocks goddamn merry-go-round of a house exactly it's crazy it looks proper like hello neighbour it really does I'd be really concerned for the welfare of the kids living in an orphanage that tacky yeah me too me too <laughs> it looks like they're trying too hard to present that that place is actually nice it's like this place is child friendly <laughs> yeah. as we approach the front door as claire interestingly the chain has gone um so 
we're arriving evidently as Birkin has already got in. Yeah, he's clearly um, ripped that chain clean off. Now, I, like an absolute noob, uh, even though I sort of knew what I was doing, I actually went upstairs first to see if there were any secret items or whatever, like in the bit where the bathroom is and stuff. There wasn't. That's reasonable. But, no? I thought I'd have a look. There could have been a little, like, a first aid spray in the bathroom or something. Or like, or like an Easter egg or so. you know, there could have been something cool. There wasn't, sadly. So I went back down to where I knew Sherry was going to be. And as I'm getting towards the door where I need to go in, Irons actually sort of staggers out, still looking relatively compass mentis at this point, and says, <laughs> Your fault! What? Took too long! What happened? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, are you f***ing kidding me? What's wrong with you? Um, and then he just passes out on the floor, at which point a parasite bursts out of his chest. And previous players of this uh, game will also remember a scene very similar to this from Leon's playthrough. Um, but this happens sort of just in the sewers and actually happens again in this playthrough too. But so he's now dead, completely gone. We just sort of step over his body. We ignore the parasite uh, as uh. we do with the one in the sewer later too. Just ignore it. That's fine. I'm sure it won't cause any issues. That's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. But we find Sherry sort of cowering about and uh, we make our escape. However, good old birkin doesn't like the idea of us escaping with absolutely no fight or anything like that so as we're making our way down into the sewers we actually see him again but not before a little cheeky appearance from our good friend mr x who as we get into the elevator to go down into the sewers thinks it'll be a good idea to attack us and just as it looks like he's about to get us the world's turning black everything is doomed we're saying our goodbyes to sherry because similar to relationships in this game in general we know someone for 20 minutes and they're suddenly like our best friend the closest our adopted daughter now exactly (laughs) but just as we're about to get ended big old set of claws comes through mr x's torso and slices his torso out from the side just takes a massive chunk out yeah Yeah. i mean mr x looks visibly shocked by this he's like what the hell is going on (laughs) once again we've been saved by mr birkin and at this point the lift goes down but not the way we wanted it to yeah there's clearly Uh, been some collateral damage to the lift mechanism whilst uh birkin was busy chewing out Mr. X. Exactly, and we go crashing down. Along with Birkin. Along with Birkin, yeah. Uh, and sort of bits of Mr. X, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and we hit the bottom pretty damn hard. Uh, not hard enough to severely injure anyone, worth noting, but hard enough that we get out, make sure Sherry's all right, basically, and then pass out. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Sherry obviously landed on something soft, probably Claire. Probably Claire, yeah, exactly. Or Birkin, honestly. <laughs> just landed on that eye. Birkin cushioned the fall and then ran off. Exactly. But we then sort of, we pass out, it fades to black. It then wakes up slightly with Sherry saying, come on, he's coming, we gotta go, we gotta go. At which point we pass out again and then the next time we come back to life it's actually Annette Birkin over us the scientist lady that we met last week and it is at this point that we learn the fact that if we hadn't already made it fairly obvious with the points we made earlier that Sherry is in fact Annette and William Birkin's daughter yes she explains that the monster is her husband exactly which explains why Birkin is potentially more protective over Sherry I think as like earlier on when you initially meet Sherry she explains that her dad is just gone when she's talking about her mum she says that my mum works for umbrella my dad's gone and then a little bit before that i think actually just before you get attacked by mr x in the elevator or or shortly after that i think she refers to uh birkin as daddy and claire's like what 
But then you never really get any more information on that until this bit with Annette waking us up after crashing down the elevator shaft. And this is where you sort of really see that Sherry and Annette look pretty much identical. Like, clearly her daughter. Very cool stuff, I thought. So at this point, we sort of badger Annette, asking her if Sherry's all right. And Annette's sort of really preoccupied, doesn't really answer. She's just pretty much focused on stopping Birkin at this point, William Birkin. Mumbling to herself about how many lives are at stake. Exactly. And like you can see the inner struggle with her because she literally is thinking, right, for the greater good, I need to save everyone rather than just my daughter. Eventually, Claire's asking and asking. She sort of snaps and goes, my daughter's welfare is none of your concern. And which point she sort of walks off and leaves Claire to it. And we aren't really taking that as an answer. We want to help Sherry because she's our daughter now. And this is where we have another section that is almost identical to Leon's section um, where we go into the sewers and we have to do the chess piece puzzle, um, killing various enemies. But this is where we find one of the more unique weapons in the game in general, I'd say. Yeah, um, it's really cool, actually. Really cool. And uh, again, probably didn't get quite as much use out of it as I would have liked, but this was more of an ammo shortage issue rather than it not being good. Yeah. Where the flamethrower is for Leon, there's actually, for lack of a better term, an electrical spike cannon. Don't tase me, bro! <laughs> yeah, it's called the spark shot. Yeah. <laughs> and what it does is it takes sort of, if you imagine a giant staple, it's basically a giant taser, really. It, it fires, fires, yeah, like an electrically charged two-pronged point yeah. that doesn't actually rely on a connection to the gun to charge. It kind of like stays. It's an invention by Umbrella. It's actually got an Umbrella yeah. logo on it. Which I thought was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And what it is, is for your basic mobs and things like that, it's basically a one shot. Yeah. Because it it stuns them out, fries them out, and then they just fall. And they're basically burnt from the inside, so there's nothing they can do. You can also charge your shot as well to uh, increase the effectiveness, which is really useful against some of the larger enemies. It'll uh, definitely put a liquor on its back for a minute. I was going to say, and where I found this really found its niche in the game was, we mentioned last week in the Leon section, it happened again in this week, you're walking through some and body parts is basically what it looks like <laughs> yeah um this is where you actually get the other chest burster scene and we have these sort of grotesque giant birkin looking enemies like with loads of eyes and they're sort of just huge sort of mounds of flesh little I mini birkins little mini birkins that aren't as scary or powerful breathtaking i shall call him mini me are they created do you think by the parasite that exploded out of iron's chest do you think that thing like infects the other person and turns it into one of those i figured that must be something because the one that fires out of the chest in the sewers is right by all of them and i don't think you saw it last week but also if you get just far enough away from those big guys in the sewers they do send out little parasites you did tell me that after you yeah I never got close enough to look at that to determine whether that was the same thing that burst out of Iron's chest or whether that was the same thing that is the parasites in the water. I never quite got to see. They kind of look vaguely similar, though. It probably is, right? But I found that a fully charged shot with our new spiky electro gun, I found that was enough to stun them out, get past them. Might even have killed them, honestly. I just... Yeah. Because I didn't go back through that section. So I was just like, and if, in fact, no, I did go back through that section and they weren't there. So yeah, it must have killed them. Looks like it killed them. Yeah. Must have killed them. It was just so useful to have them sort of solidly stunned enough that I could just do what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But really, that was my main use of this gun. Well, and I think that it sounds like you were using it uh, appropriately there. And it sounds like as well that gun fit in really well of your tactic of staggering and stunning enemies as you run past them. It did for sure. But I did ditch it shortly after this section purely for inventory space space 
I didn't find many particular uses for it after no. the sewer section, I'll be honest. I, I backbenched it as well a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a great gimmick. And and when I say that it's one of the coolest and most unique guns in the game, I'm not joking about that, but limited usefulness. Yeah. In not great for bosses, basically. In terms of firepower, at some point in the sewers as well, I think you find a heavy frame for the revolver pistol, which then allows you to basically fire magnum bullets using the pistol. And then the pistol has a dual purpose. You can, much like the grenade launcher, you can actually swap out ammo between regular bullets and then the high caliber magnum bullets as well, which is another cool little thing in the game. Yeah, it is really neat. So after internally frying some of these mounds of flesh, we continue our quest to get all the missing chess pieces. We find them and we go through the puzzle. So as we make our three, way through the chess puzzle door we actually see sherry passed out amongst the trash through a window and we want to get to her to make sure she's all right and as we are making our way to her we actually end up running into our good pal mr birkin once again and this is um, a carbon copy of the fight that leon did whereby we have to do enough damage to birkin to make him go to one knee at which point we bring a big old shipping container from left field smacks him in the face uh once again, I did this as a one bang, but Will, you mentioned last week that the correct strat, well, not the correct necessarily, but the quickest strat is to do it twice. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually. I was wondering if, given that you had the uh, the hindsight now or the, or the foresight even to uh, to do it, I was wondering if you managed to do it in, in two hits instead. But that's cool. I didn't actually even know it was a thing that you could just do enough damage to knock him off the once. Yeah, I deliberately did it in one, but I knew what I was doing this time. So I don't know if it's as formulaic as this, but I made him drop to his knees twice and on the second time it's a one shot. It might just be that I happened to hit him with enough grenade rounds because that was sort of my main boss weapon was the grenade thing. Fine. See, in that situation, I think I was just using uh, either my shotgun or some of the heavy frame bullets for the yeah. uh, the pistol. Yeah, so maybe it's explosion, yeah. maybe it's different strokes, who knows. But That's good that it doesn't punish you at least for missing the first opportunity to throw the crane and then it would hope that by the time you've had your second opportunity that you'd have finally caught on yeah sort of thing yeah that's I wonder good. if there That's are more good. than wonder if there are more than two though that you can do. That'd be interesting. Well, I'm wondering if if I played this on hardcore mode, it might make three the magic number. Who knows? Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see. We get through the fight, we end up getting through the door and we make it to Sherry. And Annette Birkin is sort of speaking to us over a PA system at this point and is kind of saying leave her, like she's not worth it almost. She actually mentions at this point that Sherry's been implanted and can't be saved. Yeah, at which point Claire just sort of goes, well that's bullshit, I'm going to try and save her anyway. (laughs) And almost straight away Annette folds and goes, well if you bring her to my lab I can help her. That's right, yeah. Claire's even like, dude, it's your daughter, what the hell? (laughs) It's like, but yeah. Fine, I'll save my daughter. To be fair to Annette Birkin throughout all this, though, is her mind must be complete mush. Like her husband, she's got a lot of shit on her shoulders. You know, it's it's, it's understandable, but you know, when you kind of remind Annette of her responsibilities as a parent, it's almost uh, like she's kind of in a dream state, just pondering all these different scenarios that she's trying to go through her head. And when you remind her of her daughter, she kind of snaps out of it briefly, and she kind of remembers her daughter for a second before quickly being consumed again by all these heavy thoughts about all the uh, the amount of people that could potentially die as a result of this outbreak we actually get some context a little bit later in the story that i'll go into now because it's worthwhile for the point we're making but you actually see a flashback to when william birkin injects himself with the g virus and you actually see annette has the chance to kill him there and then and stop the whole thing and she hesitates because it's her husband so she's got all that playing on her mind as well so you can kind of see where she's coming from so at this point we pick sherry up and we carry her onto the tram sherry actually has 
has the level one pass that allows us to get onto the train. The one that Ada recovers from the incinerator as part of Leon's campaign. Annette says that she'll meet us there. So we get on the tram and we head down to the Nest Lab. So we make it to the Nest Lab. And this section really is almost identical for the most part. It is, yeah. The only difference being is that at first we're carrying Sherry in and we put her in a little safe room. So that Stick we can go off and do sick our room, thing. Sick bed. We go off and do our thing. Oh, at this point, it becomes very obvious that Sherry is mutating. Her face yeah. is becoming sort of very red. Her eye has also changed colour now, and it's yeah, kind of she's got orange gammy cat eye. eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's got a gammy eye. Uh, looks kind of like um, William Birkin's shoulder eye, but obviously not as big, not as grotesque. But it's coming, sort of thing. Like it's coming. Yeah. So it's time to run around this lab and look for an antiviral for Sherry. It certainly is, but not before we do the same combination of getting our chemical, dispersing it, mixing a new one, freezing it, dispersing it again to kill the plants to get the new access code, all that stuff. Again, this section was greatly aided by flame grenades yeah flame grenades for the plant guys is absolutely the best tactic in an ideal world you'd have been sort of using the acid rounds wherever possible and conserving the flame rounds for these plant guys yeah for sure yeah exactly if you don't have enough or running low then you know the standard uzi or pistol sort of run and gun strat will also work here too even an acid round will knock them down long enough for you to just run around them as well Exactly. So you've you've got options at this point. Uh, I did an experiment with it. I'm sure that even our electro spiky thing probably had its uses here, but I didn't. I ditched it by this point, so I don't know. Yeah, my whole Pokemon experience is uh, lining isn't particularly effective to plants. That's very that's very good knowledge. Will. well done. <laughs> grass resists electricity you're quite correct but yes so we do all of that is basically exactly the same as i say we get our next level badge um which takes us to the west lab now what's nice here is that we actually get context as to why leon had such an easy job to just take the virus right so it turns out that a the antivirus and the virus are being stored in the same place which makes perfect sense <laughs> yeah thank god <laughs> to be fair that's brilliant now when we get to the place where the virus and antivirus is being held we have no key for it we're, we're stumped a cutscene plays and it zooms in on the keyhole and you see the symbol that doesn't look too dissimilar to the symbol that was on the back of the pendant that sherry had and dropped for us and of course the pendant which is why chief irons was so keen on getting it was the key that opens the virus container so chief irons obviously being involved somehow between the conspiracy with william birkin and the efforts to get the virus away from the lab uh, either under the control of umbrella or the u.s government yes and you actually if you read some notes i believe they're in chief irons's office late at some point you actually see like messages from wb william yes. birkin yes that's sort right. of saying like i'll pay you as much money as you need but we need security in the sewers i need you to keep this all quiet and all this stuff so adds yeah. quite a lot of context to the story as well there we use the pendant to get into the virus we take the antivirus and you do actually see the little tube of g virus there that leon will grab later yeah at this point we meet up with annette again and she tells us a little bit more about how she feels almost responsible for all of this which is why she's been a bit weird and similar to leon's section at this point william birkin comes in again crashes through the ceiling and what happens here is that annette shoots him with some antiviral round yeah we have a little chat with her <laughs> just while he's cooking while he, off with the yeah, antivirals because we think he's dead at this point right he then gets <laughs> up grabs her crushes her a bit and throws her into a wall which is how she gets her injuries similar to leon's story that's right because she just kind of appears and leon's one kind of staggering around you're like what the f- happened to you <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah 
Um, but um, we then give her the antivirus and say, right, you go save Sherry. I'm going to deal with this motherfucker. And this, right. is where, and this is where we then lower the lift down and we have Birkin fight three. And this one, again, not going to go into because it's exactly the same as the Leon fight. You just wait for the frog spawn eyes to appear, kill it all. Eventually he dies. Jobs are good. And we then go. We, we come up the lift again and we head back out to go back and see how Sherry's getting on. And worth noting, the other another difference here between Claire and Leon's story is at this point in Leon's story, the whole evacuation process has started and, and the self-destruct sequence has been initiated. Not the case because the G-virus is still in the container with Claire's story. So we have a nice chilled walk across the bridge. We just get back into our room. No Mr. X to bother us either. No Mr. X to bother us because he's in pieces somewhere else. And we've killed Birkin, right? So Life's a dream. This is victory lap at this stage. So we get back to our room. Sherry's all clear. Her gammy eye's gone. She's feeling good. But Annette is succumbing to her Not feeling so point. good. <laughs> she's not feeling very good at all. She's in great pain whenever she walks around. I mean, fair play. She's been crushed. Like she, On her she deathbed, was, she's like, I always hated you, Sherry. You were a disappointment to me. It's actually quite a touching moment where they sort of declare their love for one another. She says, sorry, I wasn't a better mum sort of thing. But hey, Annette's sort of dying wish is that we take her level four admin privilege key card thing which allows us to use the central lift and uh head on down to the train to escape but of course as soon as we get to the bottom of the lift suddenly we've got a 10 minute timer so at this point clearly leon's done his thing and uh we're now running and gunning through zombies again very similar to the leon scenario but we do take a slightly different route because things haven't started falling to pieces yet yeah and and we actually end up at a sort of service platform, I guess, for the train. That's correct, yeah. It looks yeah. like a place where that they actually start to combine the carriages of the train and they sort yeah. of lift lift and move them around yeah exactly that and we tell sherry to get on the train we go into a little side office to sort of get all the doors open get everything moving and get the train connected and there's two things that happen in this room that are very important one we get the video call from leon we do that, that yeah. we have that we had in leon's scenario where it's like oh we're all gonna escape this together i can't hear you signals crap all that <laughs> and sitting on a little table just by the door as we exit the room is a lovely little thing and this is our final weapon of the game loaded with 400 rounds which is a lot a lot of rounds but it it makes perfect sense with what's coming we get a lovely minigun it's wicked minigun this oh man so satisfying to shoot the work sounds great lovely now leon didn't get a little bonus ultra powerful weapon like this at the end Uh, you know unless you count the uh the game ending rocket launcher yeah but yeah it was awesome to be able to run around a little bit of the game with this gatling gun i don't know whether it's possible to like new game plus this and have the gatling gun but i really hope it's possible because i would love to go through this game with an unlimited gatling gun just for shits and gigs you do get an infinite minigun as part of the rewards pack for doing whatever various things you need to do because like I, i googled it and i think you get infinite rocket launcher and infinite pistol infinite minigun and there's something else you get nice i think it's infinite combat knife is it infinite combat knife maybe yeah that makes sense yeah 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 Yeah. an unbreakable combat knife yeah durability is not really as much of an issue as it is in resident evil 4 uh remake but yeah it's definitely still has i think a knife only has like three uses before you uh can't use it anymore exactly so you know quite a nice touch but anyway at this point we don't have unlimited ammo though we've got 400 rounds which is basically unlimited ammo to be perfectly honest with you <laughs> the remainder of the game yeah but here's the thing right we've already killed birkin three times we're about to get on the train to leave why do we need 400 rounds of minigun well stick around 
we're just about to get on the train with Sherry. We're about to have our victory lap when out of seemingly nowhere, a vastly different looking, I've got to say, Birkin shows up. Yeah, he's and clearly, where- all these ass kickings we've been given him, I think the nature of the biological organism that's taking over, it sort of like adapts and develops. That's its yeah. strength. Yeah, so he is souped up Birkin this time. Yeah, but... He's not really humanoid Birkin anymore at this stage. Multiple more, arms. <laughs> yeah, he's more of like a mass of like eyeballs and limbs and teeth and viscera and all sorts. But it is sort of, he's becoming more and more mushy. As, yeah, as yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking a lot less humanoid now. You can, I think you can actually spot one of Birkin's original arms hanging yeah. somewhere outside of his torso. You get that quite a lot because I like how throughout the first two or three fights, you sort of have Birkin's head and then a new head grows next to it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's quite cool how it evolves. But this fight was, in my opinion, the easiest of all the Birkin fights. You got a fing Gatling gun, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that, but also the fact that you're running around the train you, you always have a, a point where you always have a point where you can block him off yes now weirdly i actually didn't use the gatling gun too much for this bit because okay, I, okay. I figured right there's no way they're giving you 400 rounds for this did this one fairly quickly i think i still popped the achievement for having plenty of time on the board and stuff like that so i think i think that was with four minutes left at least nice countdown so yeah so plenty still of time. pretty good i was quite happy with that but um did you have any because this is a new boss fight we may as well discuss it a little bit do you have any specific tactics for this do you have any issues with this how did you get on? No, as you mentioned, uh, I found this one actually a little easier to uh, to get around than Leon's equivalent, which is the bit as you're traveling down an elevator, you've got debris falling and a pumped up Mr. X chasing you. Yeah. Mr. X, I think actually, I don't know whether Birkin's final fight has the same thing, but Mr. X, at least, he has a, a one hit finisher move where he'll sort of drag his claws across the ground and then kind of spike you in midair sort of thing. I don't think that there's an equivalent for that in this Birkin fight. But as you say, the tactic is mostly just to run around the the train that's going down the platform and just kind of keep as much space between you so that you've got time to open up with grenades, Gatling guns and whatever else you got. And once again, flaming grenades, king. Great gun. I, I, just, I think I prefer the grenade launch to the shotgun overall. Yeah. It's more powerful, it's more useful. The shotgun feels nicer. Yeah. It feels like less of a waste when you're firing a shotgun shell for a regular zombie. Yeah. Whereas that grenade launcher, it feels a bit overkill. Yeah, well, I, I was using it for bosses pretty almost exclusively. Bosses and liquors, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of count liquors as mini bosses. <laughs> they got like, a lot of health sort of thing. I mean, they're, the, they're occasionally the hardest you, 100% they are because they can move so fast. Yeah, and they got range. So much range with the jumps, the dives, the massive long tongue. So eventually, after running around the train quite a lot and shooting a bunch of bullets into this motherfucker, he eventually goes down. Finally, goddamn! And we get on the train. We get a nice cutscene where all the train bits connect up. Leon gets on. Everyone's happy families. Yeah, Leon's kind of chasing the train along the platform as it's departing and everything's exploding and he manages to jump on board. So at that point, it's exactly the same as Leon's story. Leon catches up, he's like, who the hell is this kid? She's like, oh, it's just Sherry. This is my adopted daughter. Yeah, and this is Leon, he's your dad now. Um... (laughs) And it looks like it's going to end there and then with the train sort of disappearing off into the sunset, happy families and all that. But if you may remember from last week, Will left it on a bit of a cliffhanger by saying a sort of tentacle thing came through the door and it was sort of story end. What happened? That's right. So on this one, we actually get the fight. So and this actually kind of annoyed me about the story because I thought Leon was a bit of a dick here. But they hear a noise at the back of the train. Okay, Claire, I'll just stay here. You go over there and check out that weird noise. It's like and, and Claire goes, you stay with sherry and i'll go check out what this that noise was right (laughs) 
and yeah. and he's just like, yeah, cool, no problem at all. He can like he's just standing there in the car with Sherry, just hearing the uh, the carriage being destroyed, gunfire, yeah. and all that. Like, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure yeah. she'll be back in a minute. But video <laughs> he does game finally logic put his finger out his ass, doesn't he? He does, and he does sort of almost hit the winning shot if you want. So yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of like hey, you stole play. my kill. Yeah. <laughs> But but he was a bit of a knobhead for this. But no, so as Claire, we walked to the back of the carriage. And at this point, I'm so glad I saved my Gatling gun because this is clearly what it was for. Birkin 5, even bigger f***ing Birkin. He's like eating the whole train carriage and it's coming towards you like Just this massive ominously. gaping more. Yeah. Lots of teeth, but still loads of eyeballs, right? Just Of course. Yeah, got to have eyeballs. But Never with- enough eyeballs. But with the new Gatling gun, which if you've got 300 bullets of the 400 left, you've got plenty, right? You just wave side to side. <laughs> just completely... Like, bullet just, dump. You just take this guy out. And if for whatever reason that's not enough, just empty all of the rest of your bullets, your grenades, whatever you've got. This is li- this really is the final fight. Yeah. So just do it. And uh, eventually you get a nice cutscene where... Leon, after hearing enough gunfire now... Yeah. <laughs> finally gets his ass into gear and ba- it's basically at the point where it's just the one carriage left that everyone's in everything else has been yeah. eaten and uh, is like claire grab my hand and she, claire pulls the sh- pin to separate the carriage yeah, as well that's yeah. it yeah and then grabs claire birkin is on the train the the train carriage that's just been left behind as the flames of the explosion come it engulfs the carriage at this point you really have killed william birkin he's finally destroyed and your train carriage comes through Off into the into the distance (laughs) i like that and at this point we do get the true ending which is that the three of them are walking down a dirt road it's daytime at this point it's been like at least two hours since sherry's mum died so i mean it's clearly time to start talking about adoption papers and whether she wants to get a parrot or a puppy (laughs) and worth noting that that sounds like will's made a joke there um, that is literally what she says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She literally. And Leon like, and Claire don't even seem that like they're not like. Oh, you know. Yeah. I think we should try and manage your expectations. They're like, yeah, f- it. Why not? I guess yeah. I'm your new daddy now. Daddy is a state of mind. You know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. It's like fucking <laughs> Ellie. You whoa. It's pretty Come forward on. for uh, for like a yeah. nine year old. Exactly. Jeez. And at this point, they then literally do walk off into the sunset. That concludes the story of Resident Evil Two with the true ending. We've now seen both sides. So, James, we talked a little bit last week uh, about your experience of going for Resident Evil 2, and I think that you kind of came to the conclusion that ultimately, although you have respect for these titles, I think overall you said something like you just don't vibe with them, sort of thing, yeah, I, I think, much. as a whole. I want to vibe with them more than I do. Yeah, I think right. was my exact phrasing, yeah. Did you find that sort of an increased familiarity with the police station, as well as some of the puzzle combinations, uh, as well as just the game in general, did you find that it made your Claire 2 campaign more enjoyable? or did you find yourself just repeating the same and wishing you weren't (laughs) so i think i found the claire campaign more enjoyable for a number of reasons firstly it's a bit quicker yeah like so quicker paced i I just prefer that in a game i actually preferred the guns in a lot of ways Mm, yeah Um, i like i like any gun that allows you to switch up ammo it's really cool exactly and i think on balance i think that claire's basic pistol ends up being better than leon's basic pistol and that's 100 percent. yeah and i judge it on the basic pistol quite a lot because that's the gun you use the most typically but also i actually preferred the story beats in claire's bit i i preferred the orphanage section to ada's section and you get a lot more story context from claire's side of it as a result that you do 
Yeah. And call me a sadist or whatever. I actually... I quite liked having the two additional Birkin fights. I preferred that to the added Mr. X stuff. Like I, like the Mr. X mechanic, whilst cool, I didn't like. A lot of people, it's uh, you know, yeah. it's a bit of a kind of a mixed opinion on that one. A lot of people are, are positive about it, but a lot of people find it either sort of pointlessly stressful or just kind of they actually just enjoy the sections a lot more that don't have him chasing you around. I yeah. kind of lay somewhere in between. Yeah, I, I fall on the on the latter of what you just said. I don't think it was pointless. I think it was a wicked mechanic. Um, I just I prefer when it wasn't there thankfully though the game does give you quite a few windows where the police station is available where you've got you should at that point have all your keys or the ability to find all the keys and also mr x is not around for a short while as well so it allows you them but if you don't know that's coming then you could find yourself running around the police station panicking the whole time because you got him chasing after you when in reality you could just wait a minute until uh for one reason or another he's no longer around Exactly. But no, uh, I still am a little bit reluctant to say that I vibed with it more. I did vibe with it more. Yeah, it didn't like move the barometer so much. Yeah, it's, it's not like, as I said to you originally, I don't hate this game. I wouldn't even say I dislike it. It's just not for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Claire's campaign was more for me, but still not for me. Overall, I, th- I think yeah. it's probably the best way to put it. But what I will say is all of the ones I've played, I've loved the story. Yeah, it's a and cool these games, storyline. And yeah. these games don't not vibe with me enough for me to not consider, for example, picking up Resi 4 Remake maybe at some point or being happy to play through some of the other ones to see the story. You know, it's one of them ones. I think uh, I think that that's an absolutely fair point and stuff like you can't expect everyone to like everything. Uh, you know, I, I think we already know my side of it. Huge RE fan yeah. sort of thing. Don't have a lot of negative things to say about the series as a whole. Um, so no surprise here that I had uh, quite a fun time blasting through yeah. this one. Yeah, no, but I, I think it's been a nice experience to sort of compare notes on this one a little bit and obviously get to learn a little bit more about your gaming tastes as well because a lot of these titles are one that we've always spoken about but we've definitely never made the commitment to play together or play separately so uh yeah no i enjoyed uh the run for of this and i enjoyed finding out how you experienced a game there's essentially built around a game where a lot of the systems and mechanics are now extremely outdated and they're included in this one albeit in an updated format but mostly based out of hey it was like that way in the original so we kind of got to do this yeah. one and that's the well. interesting thing how had I played the original, would I have enjoyed this more? Probably. It sounds to me like you had a better time playing the Resident Evil 4 original than you did playing the Resident Evil 2 remake. Is that accurate? I think yes, but it's kind of hard to compare apples to oranges there because with the ge- with 4, it was the challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was played in a different way, but then at the same time, I did kind of use the same strat for both. So I don't know if that's a fair comment. I did prefer mm. 4, though. I, I yeah. preferred the vibe of it. I preferred the story, even though Resi 2's story is great. Yeah, and I think I preferred how it was just a little bit more action-y. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Well, man, I think that's about us for Completionist's Corner. Once again, congratulations on making your way through Resident Evil 2 two times. Both campaigns, true ending. I'm glad I did, because the true ending is is something. <laughs> it's something, yeah. yeah. Thank you for setting it's, a it's, good uh, one. It's certainly no Death Stranding ending, but it's something. Well, no, at least that f***ing <laughs> ending knew when to finish. Jesus. It definitely doesn't outstay its welcome. Uh, I've completed pretty much 99% of everything to do with this campaign. It ended up taking me five and a half hours. I think, James, you mentioned just before the pod that this probably took you just over three hours to something do. Something like that, yeah. I think I think I was about nine and a half, ten hours for both. And the yeah. first campaign was four and a half, five. So this is probably three and a half, four, something like that. Nice, nice. Yeah. So with that, James, I think with Completionist's Corner rounded up, I think it's also time to round off the end of the show. 
You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk. With all that said, James, that's us for another episode. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. Thank you for sticking with us this far. We appreciate you. We see you. Take care of yourselves, you cheeky f***ers. And with that, we will see you next week on another episode of Total Pop Mode.